TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. The NFL Network provides live coverage of the East-West Shrine Game Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and the Senior Bowl Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. And we're now joined by NFL Network analyst, longtime NFL executive Mark Ross on the North North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Mark, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, Appreciate you having me. Well, uh, so my idea to avoid anything like the 49ers running out of quarterbacks last night is I'm stealing idea from the NHL. Give me an emergency quarterback like they have emergency goalies. Can I get you on board with this? Well, well, the NFL used to have that. And then with different rules and actually the coaches and and the teams decided that it wasn't necessary because no one was ever using them. So, of course, yesterday's game, because of the magnitude of it, the significance and what happened and played out in real time, is is definitely low-hanging fruit to say, we got to get that. But it's really hasn't happened before. And because teams realize that that, it was very rare that you needed to use that roster spot, they would want to use it for a special teams player or a backup linebacker, whatever it may be. So, really, that's what the genesis of it was. It wasn't really just say, let's just get rid of it because we want the teams to look out there and look terrible. But it really was because the third quarterback was never really used, and they would rather use it that that roster spot on a position. Of course, because of the magnitude, as I mentioned, they'll probably re- revisit it, look at it again, and have some sort of backup emergency plan. But I mean, you might not see that happen again for another twenty years. Mark, how much difference would either Brock Purdy or Josh Johnson being healthy have made for that game? Uh, Josh Johnson, none. Brock Purdy, maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I picked the Eagles going in. I just thought they were just the the, the more ten- – both teams very, very talented, but the, the Eagles just a lot more talent. And the huge difference was the difference between Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. I think that offense, you know, they wouldn't have been that bad where he just couldn't function at all. And it, it got to the point where you know, they couldn't do anything. But I think the Eagles still would have won the game, not to that, that big of a, a margin – but I think Brock Purdy still would have had trouble. I mean, you saw what that Eagles front did there, man. Those guys are feasting everybody all year long. So I think that still would have been the result. But, yeah, Josh Johnson really has been, you know, he's been on 25 teams, so I don't think he would have made a difference if he was in there, Brock Purdy, a little bit. So Moving over to the AFC title game, there was a lot of uh, consternation about the uh, officiating. Do you think it's a fair thing to say the referees cost the Bengals that game? I don't think they cost them the game, but you definitely, they were a lot more visible than they should have been. They were, it was just like, okay, you're seeing this guy, those guys up there, he was talking more than you were seeing Mahomes and Burrow at certain points. It's like, come on. So, yeah, I think there were some questionable calls, some bad calls, but overall, I don't think it cost them the game. But um, again, the, the, the NFL has been trying to get the officiating system better, and I think this has definitely highlighted the fact that, yes, we, we have better ways to do this. We have the cameras. We have the angles. We have the personnel in real time to look at these things and make things right for these teams, and that's something that definitely needs to be rectified. 
So you mentioned a little bit there, but how does the NFL handle its officiating issues? How, how can they get it more right? Well, I think with the technology you have, I mean, when you've got the reviews and you've got um, the angles and you have the command centers and you've got people in New York looking at these things, just make that a part of the game. When you see something is clearly right or wrong, don't give limited amount of challenges. Don't give all these rules to say, well, you only have a certain amount of time or, or challenges to get things right. You have the technology and you have the means to make things right all the time. Just make things right. So it's, it's fair for both the teams. It's fair for the fans and everybody that's invested in it. When you know you can actually do it, let's just do it. Mark, so I'm asking you this because you, you spent so long in the league as a uh, NFL executive. What is the what is the root cause of the officiating inconsistency? Well, a bunch of big, fast dudes going going a thousand miles an hour with a high pressure, and look, it's hard. You know, we we sit back and look at it as as fans, or you watch it on TV, you see something, the replay over and over. But in real time, it's it's hard for those officials to get everything right. And one one bad mistake can be magnified and say they were they had a, did a horrible job throughout that game. So yes, there's there's a lot of ways should we have full time uh, you know officials that could be something. But you know it's just it's just a hard job. I don't know why why anybody signs up for for refereeing or officiating even down on you know the lower levels, but especially at the highest level, let's just help and support these guys because it is an extremely hard job and it's coming at a fast pace in a high-pressure situation, so let's help them uh, be better. Mark Ross of the NFL Network, longtime NFL executive on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Um, I- I'm curious about the Mahomes thing. You know, I-, I it seems like there might be a little bit of Mahomes fatigue setting in now. He's on his third Super Bowl in five years as a starter. The two years he didn't make the Super Bowl, his team's topped out in the AFC title game. I mean, that's pretty darn good. So how would you assess Mahomes' achievements through five years as a starting quarterback in the NFL? I mean, the guy's one of a kind. He's going to be, if he just stays on this path. I mean, right now, if he retired, he should be a Hall of Famer. But if he just keeps going, you know, he'll be, he could pass Brady. And even if he doesn't, ever top him in the total amount of Super Bowls. But it's it's well, it's a lot of things with Mahomes. Number one is just the eye test. And the stuff he does where just every time he's out there, you're like, this guy is different than everybody who's ever done it. You know, that's the that's the main thing. Then you can start piling on the stats and the accolades and how much he wins. And that just enhances everything he does and enhances his specialness, his uniqueness. Uh, but I always go back. I'm a scout. I was, I was raised as a scout. When you just look and see, and everyone can see that, He's different. That's what really separates it all. But, um, you know, I, if you can't, if there's fatigue already with Mahomes, I mean, you just don't appreciate football because, I mean, it's, he's in there. And the Chiefs, as long as he's stepping on the football field, he makes everybody better. And, you know, what he went through yesterday, just the fact that this guy's got a high ankle sprain and with an injury that keeps people out four or five weeks. And as soon as he got done the game last week, he's like, well, he'll play next week, no problem. Like, this is not normal. And for him to go out there and perform the way he did, he's just not normal. He's just built different than everybody else. Going from one quarterback in the Super Bowl to the other, Jalen Hurts, uh, it was this time last year that we were debating whether the Eagles should try to upgrade over Jalen Hurts or uh, whether they would be looking for a quarterback this time 
this year, one year ago, we were saying that. So I'll ask you, as a guy who who you know kind of grew up on the scouting side of things, what what growth or where are the biggest areas of growth that you've seen from when Jalen Hurts came into the NFL two years ago to who he is today? Yeah, Jalen, you, you really have to give it to him and and how he's improved with the the biggest thing for me was all even even in Alabama was just that the quickness of him reading defenses and getting the ball out of his hands in the pocket. Sometimes he was just a little bit too deliberate in that. And then now you've seen him just sort of flowers get better throughout the season with that. And, you know, his, just to compliment his overall brilliance uh, with everything else he does. But, you know, I, I always believed in Jalen just because when you scout players, you know, there's certain players that are just always destined to be great. And every time they've been somewhere or they're great at, and the best that he's done that at every step of the way of his career, no matter where he's gone. And he just exudes that greatness, that specialness. And whenever you hear him do interviews and talk and the way he carries himself, the way his teammates respond to him and use him as their beacon, almost, you know, that's a unique quality that, rare people have and he's just that rare individual that sort of exudes that I'm always going to be great I'm going to overcome no matter what obstacle gets put in front of me and I think you just saw that with his career where he said you know what I'm going to get better I'm going to turn into a a completely great all-around quarterback did not think he'd be playing at an MVP level this fast I thought he would show gains and improvement so you know I give him all the credit in the world for what he's done and how fast he's ascended Mark, let's get to the Cleveland Browns here. Um, this weekend, or, or leading into this weekend, because the Bengals are a divisional foe, there was a lot of hand-wringing about how quickly Cincinnati has rebuilt it and how you know, the Browns have gone from 11 wins and a playoff win to to eight wins and now seven wins. And, of course, Deshaun Watson had, had a lot of ups and downs during his six games this year. And, oh, the defense was bad. So I'll ask you, like, if you're in Berea today and you're watching Joe Burrow uh, push the, the Bengals almost to their second straight Super Bowl and you've had the second straight disappointing season, do you think that there is there should still be optimism in Berea for where the Browns are? You know, a couple years ago, I was real optimistic about the Browns and actually did an article at NFL.com where I they were had the most talented roster in the league. Um, and now it's just, as you said, you know, the Baker experiment failed and now the whole Deshaun debacle and just, it's all about him and for good or for bad, whatever. But when I looked at him last year, being yes, he's been, he hasn't played in a long time, but it looked like he did not get any better throughout the season. So that's the major concern, how much better he'll get and everything's tied to him. Mark, looking to Kevin Stefanski, I mentioned 11 wins and then eight wins and now seven wins. Uh, it, it feels like we're finally back to that hot seat conversation in Cleveland. Does Kevin Stefanski start week one on the hot seat, or do you think that that's something that we'll have to develop over the course of the season before we can say he's really in any danger? Well, the perpetual hot, seat, hot seats in Cleveland for a bunch of different positions, it seems, so yeah, I think all eyes will be on Kevin Stefanski and, okay, he's supposed to be the offensive guru and everything, and here it is, you've got this quarterback who you must get right. You must get better, and now, all right, we've got the one year of he hadn't played, and that'll be the excuse. Okay, well, now you've got the whole offseason with him. You've got training camp. you got everything. 
And if the offense goes out there and looks like it did for much of the stretch, yeah, week one, there will be questions for sure, you know, and there's no margin for error when that is your specialty and you're paying this quarterback that much money. I think from week one, um, okay, yeah, there's questions. So you better get right week two, week three. And if there's no signs of improvement, you know, that hot seat, as you said, could be, could be uh, heating up really fast. You mentioned the perpetual hot seat. Um, we've got some opinions here in town about uh, the Haslam ownership and, you know, their <laughs> ability to kind of figure it out. Um, right. Can can ownerships can owners improve and can you consistently overcome bad ownership? <laughs> I've never been asked that question. So, but I, I hit on owners a lot, and you know, people just assume certain owners, that owners know what they're doing. Even the hiring cycle now, where coaches, certain coaches get hired, owners kind of hire the, the coaches that they like. Not necessarily, they don't really know who the players like, or they don't keep that in consideration. Really know what who good head coaches are or good talent is. So. The good owners that I've been around, they've kind of been consistent with what they do. Bad owners tend to stay bad. You, I don't think you've really seen any owner of a bad franchise and all of a sudden they put together, cobble together a Super Bowl winner and get things done. Now, you strike gold with a, a franchise quarterback, but, but for the most part, you've got stable organizations who make sound decisions and they consistently do that. The, the organizations that kind of st- tend to stay at the bottom, they've been that way for a while. Mark, this this brings me to a philosophical question because here in Cleveland we're impatient. I don't know if you could tell that by my line of questioning. We're impatient. I've had plenty of Cleveland interviews. I know what's going on. <laughs> so, you know, and there's been this thought of that the Browns championship window is now and that the Browns should should maybe disregard the draft picks and and try and go heavy. Use those to get proven NFL vets. So we saw this in LA. Right, we saw, and it yep. did end up in a championship. So, when you look yep. at when you look at that mentality, are you an advocate for the bleep them picks lifestyle, similar to what the Rams did the last few years chasing a title? Yeah, it's uh, if it gets you a Super, the Rams change the game with that. So, yes, if it nets you a Super Bowl, certainly. But you see where the Rams are now, and so it's all we go back to ownership. When you make decisions like that, however you build your team. Um, and you have to do it. There's no one way to do it. Even if you say, I'm going to build for the future, you still got to sign freeze. You still got to do that. And your win- windows in the NFL don't last long. I mean, look look what's going on in Buffalo. Where everybody thought, oh, Buffalo's going to be great forever. And their names, they're like, now there's a ton of questions about where Buffalo is as an organization. So you you have to build that team as, as great as possible in each year to say, we got to take a chance. But the ownership really has to sign off on that L.A. plan and say, we're going to sacrifice everything possible for this one Super Bowl. And if everyone in that organization, the power brokers, feel like that's worth it, then you have to do it. But if the direction is, no, we cannot do that, this is the way we want to build it, then that's the direction you have to take. But it all takes everyone being in together. You can't have the head coach wanting to do one thing, the GM one thing, the owner setting a direction in another way. Everybody has to be on that plan, whatever that plan is, because – all of those different plans have shown to produce Super Bowl wins the last few years. All right, Mark, we got about 45 seconds here. Uh, if Deshaun stays the same, I meaning if Deshaun is still your quarterback, obviously, Kevin Stefanski is still your head coach, what, if, if, if the Browns are to be in the playoffs next year, what is the most important thing they cure this offseason? 
if, if we're not just if we're not talking about Deshaun getting better, then that's pretty. That's it. He's got to get better. There's nothing else around him. Defense, pass rush, receiver. He has just got to improve dramatically, and the whole franchise is tied to that and how good he'll be. And you know, it's even you know the scary thing is I'm not to put more doom and gloom, but. You know, people forget that even, you know, his last year in Houston, they were 4-12. and So despite all his brilliance, they were 4-12. and You can point to a lot of issues there, but, you know, that's really the concern is, okay, even if he if he does get better, is he really the type that gets better and leads teams to victories? And, uh, so that's really 1 through 10 of list of importance for the, for the organization. Mark, great stuff, man. Enjoy uh, the Super Bowl and the remaining football we have. We appreciate you, buddy. Sure thing. Take care now. Daryl Ryder will be joining us today at 6, talking about uh, he'd like to see the Browns, and he thinks it makes sense that the Browns would would use their draft picks as, as collateral to bring in NFL veterans. And listen, I think it does make some, uh, some, some sense, right? Like they got Amari Cooper for a pick swap last year, turning I, I think it was a fifth-round pick into a sixth-round pick. That's a brilliant trade. That is beyond a, you're dropping, you know, 25 spots and bringing in a proven NFL player. If a team like the Raiders are going to sell on guys, and I, I don't think it's going to happen with Devontae Adams, but like a guy like a Chandler Jones, right? Or a Darren Waller, who I really like. All right, now that that makes good sense to me. But I don't think, like... I think that the Browns are in a numbers crunch. So you've got so many guys drafted by Andrew Barry and and by this regime over the last three years that if you if you are going to spend, and I think they've got eight picks this year, if you're going to keep every one of those, you're probably going to have to cut some of your own picks. And that does seem some, like something that Andrew Barry has not necessarily refused to do, but has re- really been loath to do. So... If this is, I'll be honest with you, I hate that. Some of those guys haven't worked out. Anthony Schwartz has not only not worked out, he's really, really not worked out. There are other guys on this roster that it's it's debatable whether they actually deserve a roster spot or whether they only have a roster spot because Andrew Barry drafted them. And any of those guys that follow in that line that I just said of the Anthony Schwartz model, why are you keeping them, right? Because if it's if it's like we've gotten to a point where there are things Kevin Stefanski is going to have to do that kind of hit at his ego. Maybe it's a play calling. Maybe it's not, right? Maybe maybe that was firing uh, Joe Woods, and I think there are going to be changes that that even uh, Andrew Barry has to make that might hit across his ego. I don't want the Browns just to trade draft picks to trade draft picks. And I certainly don't want them to trade draft picks to bring in a veteran in avoidance of cutting another one of Andrew Barry's draft picks. Right? If if trading your fourth round pick brings in a vet and that helps you keep Tommy Togiai, I'm out. If Tommy's here next year, cool. But he's going to need to earn that roster spot. Same thing with everybody else, whether it's Jacob Phillips, whether it's uh, A.J. Green, whether it's uh, Grant Delpit, all these guys. This needs to be an offseason where you tell these guys, hey, 
We're going to roll the ball out there. We have a great offseason. We're going to roll the ball out there, and the the 22 starters will be determined almost exclusively outside of Deshaun Watson and Miles Garrett because that'd be a lie, almost exclusively off of how you practice and how you play. That's the accountability in Cleveland. 216-578-0092. Do you guys, like, should the Browns shop those second and third round picks to bring in veterans? If the deal's there, like, if you can get a great value for the second round pick, I'm cool doing it. But but going into the offseason with the mind, mentality of bleep them picks, only to some degree am I okay with that. So uh, we'll talk about that with Daryl coming up at 6 o'clock as well and get back to that one. But the other thing we asked, or one of the other things we asked about Kevin, uh, about this Browns team, was Kevin Stefanski. And how how hot is Kevin Stefanski's seat? Because, you know, Dustin and I tend to, to disagree on this. Dustin says, starting week one next year, Kevin Stefanski's coaching for his job. And by the way, Dustin might end up being right on that. Given that Jimmy Haslam is uh, has, has maybe the quickest trigger finger in uh, the West and the North and the East and the South and the Southeast and the Southwest and the Northwest, given that he's the fastest gun in the NFL with firing guys, Listen, I'll go to this. I don't think Jimmy ever told anyone he was thinking about firing Kevin Stefanski. I guarantee you he was thinking about it this year. Because I just have to look at how he's operated previously and say the Browns haven't won enough to change that guy. Not yet. Kansas City's won for 10 straight years. Clark Hunt, who previously was not seen as a good NFL owner. It's probably enough. Hell, I mean, I guys, when I talked about with, with Mark about, you know, can you overcome bad ownership? People were tweeting me uh, and texting me and tweeting me. And Nick Wilson says on Twitter and Twitter reactions brought to you by Scheiben Jewelers. But people were, oh, Mike Brown, Joe Burrow did it. I do think, oh, by, and by the way, guys, I think it's incredibly early to say that. Uh, Joe Burrow has overcome Mike Brown's bad ownership two straight years. If if he has, if Joe Burrow has the Bengals in contention, where they are now, the way uh, Mahomes and Alex Smith had the Chiefs in contention for a decade, eight years from now, I'll I'll give Mike Brown uh, kudos that he might not be one of the five worst owners in the NFL. He's got to earn his way out of that hole, though. Two years isn't enough. So I totally understand the theory of Jimmy Haslam likes to, uh, not likes to, but Jimmy Haslam fires guys as soon as he decides. And in the case of Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens, those were valid firings. Rod Chudzinski, I don't know. I mean, even Joe Banner, you blew up your head coach and your GM in like a 60-day window, a year into owning an NFL franchise. That's not really sound thinking. Even Mike Pettin. At the time, nobody pounded the table for Mike Mike Pettin because we didn't realize how bad it was going to get. But Haslam and, and Freddie Kitchens truly deserve to be fired. So I get it. I don't think Kevin Stefanski should. See, there's a difference. There's the will be, and then there's the should. 
I don't think Kevin Stefanski should start the season on the NFL's hottest seat. Nope. I think there are so more. I mean, uh, Mike McCarthy, who admittedly, that was a disappointing end of the season. That's a really good Dallas team. I don't know anybody's beaten Philadelphia, but like you, at one point, you looked like you could have taken possession of the NFC East only to be bested and bounced out by a division rival in the second round of the playoffs. And the goal in, 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 in Dallas is to give Jerry Jones one last hurrah before he meets our, meets our collective maker. He's 81 years old. He doesn't have a lot of time. He's feeling that if the Cowboys disappoint again next year, Mike McCarthy will be fired. And with that mentality, Mike McCarthy just fired one of the chosen ones in the Dallas organization, uh, Kellen Moore, who was the offensive coordinator who just agreed to be the, the Chargers OC. So Mike McCarthy probably was the guy on the hottest seat in the NFL, and he just turned up the flames on his own seat. I think that's the hottest seat. I think you can probably say Ron Rivera's seat is a little bit hotter. Uh, Ron had the first year playoff run where they were they just they won a bad East, and 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 honestly, he's kind of punted on the quarterback a couple years. I th- and oh, they might have new ownership. I think Ron Rivera's seat is hotter. I think when you start to look around, I think there's a lot of heat around the NFL. I think, I think, guys, even Josh McDaniels in Vegas, because he's moving on from Derek Carr, although there was a report from The Athletic that they have yet to give him permission to seek a trade. Oh, that could blow up. That could get ugly. Those are at least three spots just off the top of my head that I think the the seats are hotter than the situation in Cleveland. So... It's not to say Kevin Stefanski doesn't have to think about next year. I think that's why you fired Joe Woods. If Kevin Stefanski didn't feel the perspective heat of next year, Joe Woods might still have a job. Because it feels like Kevin Stefanski values, um, it seems like he values loyalty more than he cares about winning. I could be wrong. He had multiple chances to fire. Joe Woods didn't do it. He had multiple chances to hand over play calling to somebody else, which he admittedly is not the biggest fan of. He finds it tiring. He didn't do it. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Doesn't mean he's a bad coach. Doesn't mean he's an egoist or unbearable. At least not yet. He's had things to do that might have helped them win, and he hasn't done it. And ironically, the reason why his seat, this is this is the duality if he had replaced himself as offensive coordinator or sorry, play caller and fired Joe Woods and let's say eight games in the next year, the offense is sputtering. Yeah, he'd probably be in the situation Mike McCarthy is. Yeah, that actually has been the thing now that Jim Schwartz has been hired. And I know uh, Andrew Barry, Browns GM and company are going down to the, the, the senior bowl in Mobile. And I'm jealous. I went to the Combine couple years here when I was doing nights and I actually took the time off and just went to make acquaintances and uh, I hung out a bunch with uh, with Daryl and the great Jason Gibbs of Browns Radio Network I'm just name dropping people now and uh, all I've heard is as fun as the combine is 
the Senior Bowl is even more fun. So Dusty and I at some point will have to make it down to the Combine together. Although Dusty and I letting loose at the same time might also cause the apocalypse. That's just a real thing. But I, with Andrew Barry going down to the Senior Bowl, um, I'm sure we're due for some news. I don't know if it's going to be this week. Next week really isn't likely because next week, obviously, it's the kind of the news pause where that week leading up to the Super Bowl, they do everything they can to quell news, whether it's head coaching hires, whether it's GM hires, big trades, or, or sorry, the idea that somebody's out there. Like, remember when the Deshaun Watson trade request first came out? I think it was the weekend of the uh, Pro Bowl, right? At that time, the Pro Bowl. And I talked to somebody in the league office who coincidentally I met at the, the Combine. And I had heard that the NFL was just pissed about it because they, they just didn't want that to be the thing that people talked about all week. Or it might have actually been the week after the AFC title games, but leading up to the Pro Bowl. So, greater point here. Now that I finally land the plane on this whole friggin' tangent, um, I am fascinated at what the next piece of news we're going to – real news, not like they've signed Roderick Perry the 17th to a futures contract. I'm really fascinated about what the next piece of breaking news is going to be with the Browns, right? And and some of that's not really their control. Um, you can't make a trade official until the, the league new year. Um, it's probably unlikely that somebody's going to be – uh, released from now until the Super Bowl. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe the first, maybe it's some staff changes. But I was texting with a couple buddies, just going back and forth, like, what do you think the next thing? And, and when I say big news, I'm saying you and me are going to be talking about it for five hours for a couple days at some point in any given week. Because the last big mo- news was the Jim Schwartz news. But we're asking if if Kevin Stefanski enters next year on the hottest seat. And on Twitter, I am so glad Slappy Brown, who as a Slappy, I say thank you, Slappy Brown, said uh, Brandon Staley's seat is combusting because I had mentioned uh, Mike McCarthy in Dallas. I'd mentioned a couple other seats that I think are hotter. Like it would not surprise me. Let's say Dallas were to start 0-4 next year. It wouldn't shock me if Jerry fires Mike McCarthy and gives Dan Quinn the rest of that year to try and earn the uh, the interim job. I mentioned Ron Rivera in Washington. Let's say in June, uh, Jeff Bezos buys the Washington Commanders. And let's say that the Commanders don't stick the landing on quarterback and they're 1-5, 2-4 to start the season. That's a scenario where Jeff Bezos could want to get the head uh, the head coaching job search started quickly or whoever the owner is. I'm just speculating. Even in L.A., if the Chargers struggle at any point next year, I think our guy Brandon Staley, and I, I realize I predicted he was going to get fired in like September of this year. The Sean Payton thing is the ultimate complicator. There just, there wasn't a good job for Payton. There wasn't a job that Sean Payton should have chased. Arizona's a bad job. The Bidwells are bad owners. Um, Kyler Murray might be a jerk. I mean, look at Houston. 
you really want to go work for Cal McNair? Cal McNair looks like Forrest Gump Jr. grew up and ate Forrest Gump Sr. He, Cal McNair should have the nickname Bubba, right? He's too rich to have that because I've never met, like, I've, I've only met poor people with it or that grew up poor with the nickname Bubba. But if he, if, if Cal McNair had a net worth of one one hundredth of what he has, his nickname would be Bubba. And he'd also, that would not be his wife. That's neither here nor there. There wasn't a good, I mean, even Carolina, Carolina might've been the best job. That's why they landed Frank Reich. Dave Tepper's reputation around the NFL ain't great. And they need a quarterback. And that's kind of the toughest thing to find. Sean Payton wasn't risking his legacy for any of those jobs. Dallas and LA, specifically Justin Herbert and Dak Prescott, that might be enough. With him probably going back to Fox, I think everything we said about this year's coaching market, I think it gets so much more interesting next year. That's probably where it stops, by the way. I can't see, I mean, even Robert Sala in New York. I can't really see him potentially, get hypothetically getting fired before Stefanski. Uh, another thing here, uh, Carl saying, Stefanski belongs in the hot seat. The excuses are done with me. Might have to play the excuse game for the Browns. But Eugene, welcome to the show, yes. Eugene. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, he's in the hottest seat there is. I mean, look at what he did with Clowney. These guys don't listen to him. They do not want to play for him. So Clowney leaks out, well, I'm 95% going to play for the Browns. Where else would he have had it better? So then Savancy goes, you're not coming to Pittsburgh. Clowney was probably, hey, hey, great. I don't want to play anyway. If I was a coach, Clowney would have been playing every play on defense. And it probably would have made him play offense, too. And maybe special teams, maybe kick yeah, a couple right. balls. I mean, he was happy. Oh, I don't ever go to Pittsburgh and play. Yeah, I, <laughs> I a, think. What a joke that was. What I would actually say is, um, I it, because they let it get to that point, I actually thought about that a lot, Eugene. I, listen, it's one game. You have a better chance of winning that game because of Clowney's impact on Miles Garrett. Maybe just let Clowney play. I think if they were going to bench and send Clowney home, it should have been after the Ravens game, the first one. And I don't know how that would impact the Bengals game, which is your best win of the season. But it's funny because everybody talks about the play calling. Everybody talks about Deshaun Watson. They talk about the offense. My biggest doubt about Kevin is the play calling. Just kidding. It's the leadership. The leadership scares the crap out of me. Because I've known a lot of really, really smart people in, in my professional life. I don't even have to get to football. If you can't handle people, you can't be a manager. If you can't, uh, sorry, you can't be a successful manager. The same is true in the corporate world as it is in the NFL world. In, well, in, in any sports context, really. Now, I had mentioned the downside of continuity. Uh, Real Xavier P., Already pitching in. Didn't even have to know the context of my teased. Said there's no downside to continuity when it comes to the Browns. Why? Because there's no other franchise averaging one coach and one GM per year or per every two years since 1999. Well, one, I tend to agree that continuity does reign supreme in the NFL. I would also agree with people who said 
Hugh absolutely deserved to be fired and probably shouldn't have made it to his third year to be sacrificed eight games into the year. Also, Freddie Kitchens deserved to be fired as much as any human being ever in the history of humans, things, or sports. So maybe Jimmy Haslam is just bad at hiring people or hiring NFL people. Maybe that's why we are here. That doesn't make me feel better about this, but to the point of continuity, I think some people might look, and actually, Keith, I, I wanted to bring Keith on because you you were selling to me off air the idea of Philly is maybe proof that continuity is overrated. Yeah? Well, I just think that they're the, the one example right now that you can look to and it's just like, not always is continuity the right answer because Doug Peterson took them to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. We all kind of questioned when they fired Doug Peterson because they had a rough year. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we realized, and we all kind of ripped the Sirianni higher because his press conference wasn't great. I think Ross Tucker even mentioned that last week or somebody else with us mentioned that last week. But now here he is. He took them to the playoffs last year. In his second year, they're going to the Super Bowl. Now, granted, that roster is a great roster that they've built. But I think he has done a really good job coaching up Jalen Hurts and guys like that, that he's put them in a really good position. So I think that I'm not saying that that's the answer for every team, but I don't think we can just always point to continuity as being like, it's a have to, if you can get better and there's a proven coach, a, a guy out there that you think can get more out of the talent that you have, that's not always the wrong answer. No. And I, so I would say that Philly has not had total continuity. They've had it. They've had continuity where I think it matters. One, I think Jeff Lurie actually might be a decent owner. Um, not only is he part of the brain trust uh, uh, alongside Andy Reid or alongside Joe Banner that hired Andy Reid, um, he is the guy that helped find Doug Peterson and bring Doug Peterson there. Um, so I, I actually think Jeff Lurie might be one of the better owners in the NFL. Here's why I think. I think what you're on to is. I think sometimes we say continuity, continuity, continuity at the head coach spot. I think what's underrated is organizational continuity. You can plug in a quarterback, or you can plug in a quarterback here. You can plug in a head coach here, or a different offensive coordinator, or even a scouting director, or this. But the important thing is that most of the pieces are in place. So continuity in and of itself is not the reason why Kevin Stefanski should still have a job. Alignment is a big one. Um, faith in Kevin Stefanski is another one. Whether you look at why they've underachieved the last two, uh, two years as excuses or valid reasons, those are reasons Kevin Stefanski should have a job. Continuity, me, continuity to me is why Andrew Barry should have a job next year no matter what. Because Howie Roseman is the continuity in Philly. He might have taken a back seat to Chip Kelly only to, to, to come out of nowhere and come surging back to power with Doug Peterson. But like, it's why I've said, okay, if Kevin Stefanski underwhelms, new head coach next year. But new head coach and GM, that is so much tougher to get most or partly organizational continuity, that's the way to go with the Browns going forward. 